0: Welcome to Live the Light of Yoga,
1: a podcast where we explore yogic principles as they apply to our daily lives and personal unfolding. I'm Christina Sell. And I'm Britt Castle. We are so glad that you're here. Hi, Christina. Hi, Britt. So good to be back with you. Um, As we're seated here for today's recording, it is May 1st also known as Beltane, which is the moment right between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. So we are at the peak of spring and uh, the kind of start of the rumblings of summer. And I have been enjoying following the wheel of the year and um, turning to nature for points of inspiration and reflection So I thought it was auspicious that we randomly picked this day to record, and I wanted to take a moment um, to kind of dive into a little conversation about Beltane and um, a metaphor that I've been working with inside of this point on the wheel of the year and the cycle of nature that we find ourselves in. And so Beltane, as I've come to um, explore it and understand it, is this moment where The seeds that we have been um, tending to, and even beyond the tended to, the, um, the natural softening of the earth, the earth has softened enough that we are at this moment where the work that's been happening underneath the soil, unseen through the end of winter into the start of spring, has grown enough to begin to push up above the surface. And I've been thinking about how this is a part of these cycles that we've been discussing so far in this season of growth and how we could see today Beltane, May 1st, as the start, right? Like the first time the sprout comes up above the ground, but actually um, the start was a while back in in the winter when the ground started to thaw and started to make space for whatever it was that was eventually going to peak up above the surface. And I've been thinking about this process of trust that has been required up to um, the metaphorical now of May Day, where there's all of these things that we tend to. And there's all of this work happening below the soil, below the surface, and we don't necessarily um, see the fruit of that labor immediately um, or even at all, right? Like there are some crops um, or intentions that we plant below the surface that come springtime won't actually surface. And I was wondering if you could dive into um, this process of trust, for the pieces of growth that are unseen, that have been percolating below the surface, and that we might celebrate and usher forward as we move uh, into the depths of spring
0: and the start of summer. Well, that's really great. I feel like you just gave the whole talk, Britt. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things I was um, sparking on when you were talking is this idea that, well, just I was reminded of something my dad told me once about advice that doctors often give patients who are dealing with a significant health diagnosis um, where they're going to be probably sick and where they may or may not live through the illness and where they'll often tell their patients to uh, plant a tree Hmm. (laughs) or to plant something uh, and just how um, it can harness a certain kind of energy towards the healing process that says there is something on the other side that I can look forward to, or that it's a gesture of something beyond the present circumstances that can emerge. And somehow I was really sparking on that as you were talking about this process of growth and change and how we're in stages of the cycle where we can't always see what's happening where we are in that cycle or all of the investment that we're making is not coming to fruition it's not coming to manifestation quite yet and I'm really reminded of uh, we are in a culture and a society, right? Founded on so many promises of quick fixes and rapid success and um, instant gratification. If you've studied your own society at all and the cultural influences behind it, then you know this (laughs) to be true. So, um, And when we're in that world of personal transformation, we're in the practice of participating with our own growth and unfolding, we're in anything we might call yoga, then we're in we're in some powerful technology, but it, it operates, I think, in a timetable outside of what ordinary life and particularly society's false promises to us are operating under. And so I see this all the time as a yoga teacher who when we have students who are used to being very good at things. And they're high functioning types of people. And particularly if they're high functioning at the level of athleticism, mm-hmm. you know, they decide they're going to run a marathon, they run a marathon, they <laughs> have that kind of confidence in their, in their history and all those wonderful things because people with that kind of confidence make wonderful yoga students. Mm-hmm. But when I uh, come up against certain things in, in the yoga that don't respond, let's just say in the asana practice alone, that just don't respond to the normal way of going after it. Like you can't actually really force the lotus pose without really forcing your knees someplace that they're maybe not supposed to go. So, i.e., injury, mm-hmm. and and therein lies another one of our great you know earth based metaphors to speak on this idea of planting seeds. Well, this to the lotus pose, you it can you can't force a, a flower up the. From underneath the ground one day before, one moment, one instance before it's ready and its own timetable. Mm-hmm. It's set by the inherent wisdom in that seed or in that bulb, in its sort of deep, deep structures that knows it's it's going to grow according to something much deeper than me as the farmer mm-hmm. or me as the uh, tender of the garden I can't force the growth. I can water the garden. I can put fertilizers down. I can put mulch. I can pr- chant my mantras over it. <laughs> but, um, but I can't make them grow. You know That is determined by something so deep, so organically wise and so outside the scope of uh, my dominion. And so I feel like the nature metaphors are really perfect metaphors for us to return to time and time again, because um, they teach us something very profound about the process of growth and transformation. And that is outside a lot of the personal growth narrative that we might find in pop culture. There's the personal growth narratives, for instance, that say things such as you can control your reality. And if you think it, you can become it. And while there's some truth to those things, they also are missing this huge part of reality that is really outside of our control. And that is functioning according to a deeper intelligence and a deeper wisdom. So I think nature is a really great metaphor to return to again and again. And I'm really happy for you to bring that alive with a uh, consideration of belting. You know, the other thing I was uh, reflecting on was that when we think about it from the yoga perspective and go back to Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, he talks about ways that practice should be pursued. And he gives the first way, the first quality or virtue that we should pursue our practice is Shraddha, it's faith. And we spent a lot of time in last season talking about faith and I think teasing out some of these distinctions between faith as a a doctrine or this religious dogma that you are somehow supposed to accept on face value because some external authority said it's true. And if you don't believe it, you're going to go to hell in some fashion. <laughs> however tradition, you know, however they might define hell and however it might be set up in terms of the language, there's that sort of narrative that you're just supposed to believe it or accept it on face value, and um and, and the difference between that kind of faith and a certain kind of trust. And and not necessarily even the faith that is even in a divine order, faith in a divine being, but if we think in take it down to some very simplistic notion of um, premise of beginning a practice is we pursue our practice with faith that is going to be good for us in some way, faith in the practice itself. So if I'm sick and I plant that tree, there's a trust, there's a faith that 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 seed or that seedling or that um, thing that I'm planting will take root and will grow. There's an implicit nature in planting a garden. I put those little seeds in the ground. Uh, my mom used to love to tell this story about me. We, we used to go out into the garden and she was telling when I was, must've been before four, because when we were living in Ohio, and she, we had this big two acre garden. And my mom was, I mean, that was back in early seventies when organic gardening wasn't a thing. And my mom was into organic gardening and she took me out to plant this whole row one day and she said, every little plant that I planted, I'd put the seed in it, cover it up and go, grow a little plant, grow. And then we go down and I'd put the seed in and I'd the earth on it. Grow oh, a little plant, grow. And she said, wouldn't you know it? Every single one of your seeds grew that year. <laughs> <laughs> so when I saw the same over at I'm not kidding about that but uh, in some ways it's a it's a tremendous act of faith and trust to put a seed in the ground. And at that literal level. But what a tremendous act of faith and trust it is to go to our first yoga class, to take a course on Yoga philosophy to sign up with a therapist we've never met before to do some work mm-hmm. and it's a big leap of faith but it wouldn't happen without some sense that this is going or hope even uh, that this could be good for me so we say uh, practice should be pursued with with shraddha. with. Faith. It has a lot to do with just a trust in the process itself, a trust in the larger movements of the practice, what they might unfold within us. And he goes on to say, you know, with virya, with enthusiasm, and and so he outlines this whole process of, of practice. But the first thing, the first quality, the first seed that we would we would bring to it <clears throat> is faith in the practice itself, and and so. I feel like that is a really, a really key piece of we don't have to have necessarily trust in a higher being or faith in some everything happens for a reason narrative or faith as it was outlined perhaps in religion of childhood to have faith that each one of us has that same seed of the soul within us that knows exactly what kind of plant it's supposed to become. Mm. You know, the uh, word, I think in Greek, I think they would call this the daemon or the um, idea that not like, or sometimes it was pronounced even demon, but not like demon, like a <laughs> like an evil creature, <laughs> but that each one of us is some a deep code of the soul. James Hellman wrote a very good book about this called The Soul's Code. Uh, you don't have to, when you plant a certain seed into the ground, it knows what kind of plant it's going to become. And that each one of us has deeply implanted in our own DNA and our own very being, the type of plant that we are really going to grow into. And so I feel like that our yogic practices is, uh, isn't is really so much how to grow myself into a better, more improved version of myself with no flaws, faults, idiosyncrasies or quirks. I'm never really going um, to seem to have managed that so far. <laughs> you know? um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to use these principles in the way that they're going to help water that seed of authenticity within me so that I grow into the Christina I'm meant to be and you grow into the Brit that you're meant to be. And each one of us listening and, and considering this today isn't necessarily always trying to figure out how to, I'm not trying to grow into a Brit, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to grow into a me. And um And that the yoga practice isn't, again, necessarily about turning me into something other than I am, but in in really giving me the nourishment, the conditions that would nurture the seed of my own soul to grow.
1: Yeah, you're reminding me um, of the journey I had into the physical practice that really focuses on alignment. Um, and you know this, I think we've maybe even talked about it on the podcast, that the first time I practiced with you, it, it was challenging. My body was resisting. I um, just really didn't have the, the mental capacity even to follow all of the details. And that's been something I've grown into. Um, and there was a chapter when I first started with alignment yoga where it felt prescriptive, right? Like, here's the alignment, do it this way. And in the process of actually diving into that practice, and in um, being in your classroom, coming to understand the um that that two way stream in the alignment yoga, where they, here's the alignment, here's the thing to to tend to, to work towards, and then to meet yourself where you are in that. Right, like there's the muscular engagement for hip rotation but then there's like my actual bones of my hip socket and so that alignment isn't a prescription but it's coming to understand what does alignment mean in my body my brit being and your alignment in your body is distinct and so finding that soft space between where the alignment um supports and offers like a map and then where the alignment actually has to come from the inside of my body um Otherwise, I'm, I'm pushing my body into someone else's alignment.
0: Yeah, I feel like to me, a lot of what alignment is, is a language. And um, I was thinking as you were talking about how when I was early in my recovery from bulimia, um, while I really thought it would be wonderful to just listen to my body and eat what I wanted, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. communication between me and my hungers it was offline. And so I wasn't speaking the language of my body's wisdom. And I wasn't clear on was I physically hungry? We talked about this a lot in our first season. Was I physically hungry? Was I emotionally hungry? <laughs> was I spiritually hungry? You know, And the different kinds of hunger that might've been all telling me eat ice cream. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I got a lot of it. Um, and so I did follow a prescription in a, you know my long time of working with a sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous. I followed a prescriptive uh, food plan that would, if I were doing that today, be highly neurotic. Hmm. Because it would be super controlling and very regimented and bizarre. <laughs> and I would <laughs> require me to be very, very focused on food. But at the time, that prescription helped me focus less on food because it brought some order to the chaos of my eating patterns. Mm. And then that much order and that much uh, sort of prescription would have created its own disorder over time. In fact, did. It just became too restrictive to be useful. But I was so out of control and out of bounds with myself that getting uh, some structure coupled with some really good therapy and the spiritual program of Overeaters Anonymous and all of the support that goes hand in hand with 12-step recovery, Uh, a transformation occurred where my language with myself started to change and we started to have a two-way conversation like you were talking about. And I think that asana alignment, there are plenty of asana alignment practitioners and teachers who never leave the prescriptions who are very focused on the do it right. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. And it is, it never leaves that domain. And that's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's not my way. And, but I'm, you know, eyes on my own yoga. So I'm going to say, okay, if that's what, if that's what that is for someone. And, and, and when we gaze at it that way, it's absolutely an accurate criticism of alignment oriented yoga, I think to call it an imposition and a prescription and a rigid dogma. I I mean, people who find it to be that way, they're not wrong entirely. I just feel like it's only a part of it. And uh, it's in service to, I think, opening up a pathway of communication. And what I learned from some of those very consistent, repetitive instructions, such as, make your leg muscles strong, draw to the midline from your feet, draw up into your hips. (laughs) You know, all of that repeated. Um, I started to trace a pathway of awareness through following those instructions to not just the outer experience of the pose and the external shape, but to my internal experience. And then what started to happen is my internal experience opened up the outer instructions they were now something I could be a more choice about in a more nuanced relationship about rather than just a blind prescription. And so for me, I think that there is a starting point where we do have to learn the, the basics of the language. You know, what does the midline mean? Or how do your quadriceps engage? What is the shape of Trikonasana? Where are the downsides and the upsides of the pose? What's likely to happen to you? Where are the risks? And we just have to learn. There's a long stage of learning, I think, Um, especially in alignment oriented yoga before you get to the interiority of it. Now, those people who are listening to this, who practice and they came in through the breath and through movement and they get the interior experience a lot of times much more quickly than the average alignment person gets it because Mm -hmm. you can never get off all that do and do this and don't do that. and All the rigid detail. Like I said, there's people I know. They're still talking about all that stuff only this is the right way to do the pose. That's not really the pose. You're not really doing it right. If you're not doing it that way. And, um, and then they're, and they're contrasting right and wrong rather than seeing all of those protocols as a doorway to something greater. But I think when we start to chart that course and get into the interiority of the experience, it's also where more self-trust can reside. We can say that one's not for me today because when I do that, that feels off. But, um, But until the feeling sense is awakened, until the awareness is awakened, until the lines of communication are flowing both ways, it's a little bit um, simplistic to say, listen to your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can be. And it can be a little bit problematic to also have the other side, which is you can't trust your body. And that those Mm -hmm. two things, I think, can come together. But it's a process and it does take time
1: hmm Yeah. I'm thinking about how, um, you know, back to our our metaphor of the the work that's happening below the soil and so much of what you were just pointing to in, um, you know, learning the nuance of what it means for me to listen to my body. That was so much under the soil, right? Like you as my teacher watching from the outside can't necessarily witness the process of me learning um where and why pain in my knees comes into my body and how to take care of that you know I can ask questions as I have and you can give me helpful um support but that so much of that the practice is happening below the surface and can't be seen by anyone but um you know me and my body and you and your body over there doing that below the soil work on your
0: own And then there's things that we can't see on ourselves that other people can see from the outside, you know, where our (laughs) own misalignments or they're, we're blind to them and they're, they're obvious, you know, to, to someone with a trained eye from the outside. And so, and it's another great metaphor for our practice of growth. There's some things that, um, that no one can know really for us because they're subjective, they're interior, they're growing beneath the surface of our own awareness and the depths of our being, they're also pr- things that are private and precious and important that are ours only, and then there's things that we can't see about ourselves that other people can see sometimes it's the uncomfortable stuff <laughs> like the well you didn't you're really not aware that you're kind of raging a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's our blind spots about our shortcomings, you know, the rough edges we, we need to do a little bit more inquiry with, uh, but the other, sometimes people, you know, we can't see our own beauty or we can't see some of our own magic, you know, and it's um, the things that other people are really holding precious about us where we can't see them. The same way I can't always tell it. My arm is straight or my arm is bent when I'm uh, working my ass off in the asana. And the teacher says, well, straighten your arms like it is straight. You know, <laughs> when Kelly and I uh, were snowboarding one time and I was learning, um, you know, he'd take this lesson and about working our edges and um, and I was practicing. I was really thinking I was doing it, you know, and so he's going to help me after the lesson and we're practicing and going down the hill and I'm really thinking I'm doing it. And then he pulls me over, he motions to me over to the side and he says, you know, okay, well, sit down here, put our butt in the cold snow We're looking out at the nice view. And he's saying, okay. So when you go down the hill, you got to really cut your edge in and lean in this way. Is giving me X, Y, and Z, and I' I'm listening, I'm trying to be a good student, you know, because it's not always easy to learn from one's mate. <laughs> I'll, I'll use an I statement on that. It is not always easy for me to learn from my mate. <laughs> so I'm really, you know, I'm doing my best not being an asshole, and. <laughs> Doing my yoga on the mountain and he's telling me these things and I say to him, it's like Kelly, he goes, Yeah. So you know how you just said uh, I'm supposed to lean this way and cut my board in that way? And he goes, Yeah. I said, you know that that's what I really thought I was doing?
1: <laughs>
0: Felt like it was happening. I was like working so hard to do just those things. And He goes, this is how your yoga students feel when you tell them to straighten their arms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true.
0: (laughs) So I really swear to God I was doing it, you know, and I probably was just not enough. And so in the same way, there's that deeply internal part of our own growth and awareness um, unfolding. There's definitely the parts that we can't see from the outside either. We need each other's help. So I think both avenues are are, are really key. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And um, on the topic of straight arms, (laughs) I'm just endlessly fascinated with how you know the the body is a doorway in and we've we've talked about this and um really thinking about the relationships that we build in seeing our students and being seen by our teachers and um i think it was my my second 200 hour teacher training i was in trikonasana i'll never forget and my teacher came up and she put her hand against my hand and gave me an adjustment and said straighten your arm and it wasn't straight you know it was a little bent and I straightened it. And, and she said something um, like, you don't have to get small here. And, you know, that was she was talking physically, but also she was talking more than just physically. And that moment was, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And it stays mm. and how how the um, the body was the doorway for that much deeper inquiry. And then this whole new beginning of like, oh God, like where and how am I small? And why does that resonate? And where does it resonate? Um,
0: Right. And I think that we really, um, all, all layers of the being are coming along with us.
1: If you receive value from this podcast and would like to support the people who make it, can become a member on patreon membership is financially flexible and contributes directly to the production of these conversations find out more and sign up at patreon.com live the light of yoga thank you once again for tuning in